The following is a hoop ball presentation. What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. It's Dating Isaac. We are back. We get to talk about a win, Isaac. We get to. Th- it's, it seems like it's been forever. It's only been three games, but it feels like that three games was an eternity. The Memphis Grizzlies finish off a whole I don't even it wasn't even a whole off. It wasn't that close. They kicked the crap out of the Rockets last night, 136 to 102. Moved to seven and seven on the season. Good for standing alone in eighth place, half game back of the Los Angeles Lakers for the seventh place, which is not really all that important. Six is what they're looking at, which means this game coming up Thursday is pretty big early on for the Grizzlies. Yeah, uh, we talked about uh, the different Nuggets in that back-to-back here in Memphis uh, a couple of weeks ago last week, and they got both of those wins. And we talked about how big that was to have two wins over the Nuggets earlier, where they already own a win over the Clippers, uh, beat them out in, in L.A. two weeks ago. So, man, it would be really big for them to to get this game on Thursday night, uh, to have two wins over the L.A. Clippers, because you'd have two wins over two teams that you think, if, if you're going to be in that 6th seed, conversation, those are two teams that you could be battling with, jockeying with the playoff position in late in the season. So to have two wins over those two teams earlier would be really big. But go back to last night, man. Yeah, Grizz win 136-102. High scoring output put for the Grizz this season. Previous high was 132 in the opener against Cleveland. Um, it, it, it's kind of hard to evaluate this, this game because, I mean, the Rockets are bad, bad. I mean, I, the Grizzlies did what they were supposed to do. Uh, I think – they're even worse than I thought. I kind of spoke out of turn. I kind of said the Grizzlies look like they might be the worst team in the NBA right now with the kind of defense they're playing after losing uh, to a one-win team, kind of getting blown out down there in New Orleans uh, to a one-win team. I was kind of saying, well, the kind of defense they're playing, I don't know if they can beat anybody right now. I take that back. I think this Houston Rockets team is clearly the worst team in the NBA, but there's not all is not lost, Rockets fans, man, because I think they got a, a, a young button superstar in Jalen Green, man. I think he's going to be a, a big-time player in this league. Yeah, a ton of young talent on that team. Jason Tate is just in his second year. He's a little bit older than, than Jalen Green, but still not old by any stretch of the imagination. He played well last night. He had 14 points, nine rebounds. You know, like he, he he's going to be a contributor. Christian Wood, their big man. Yeah, free, free him, by the way. Free Christian yeah. Wood. <laughs> Uh, you know, Kevin Porter Jr., I don't think that he is a true point guard. Just honestly, his his efficiency numbers are bad. And when your point guard efficiency numbers are not good, it's going to be hard for the rest of the team to be efficient. A um, lot of talent, ton of talent. But just I, I don't think that point guard is really his true role. Um, Alperin uh, Shangun, he played 18 minutes last night, looked good, had some really nasty moves in the post, had some guys on the Grizzlies looking out of place with some of those moves. Uh, yeah, man. He, I love him. Love him doing the draft process. He's going he's yeah. to be good, man. Yeah, it was fun for me, man, because, you know, the, these uh, these last couple of years going through the draft process and then getting to see some of these guys in person, you know, the the uh, Jalen Green and Shingoon from this season, uh, Kenny Martin Jr. was a guy that uh, that we talked about. Yeah. That, you know, it, it kind of – it's a little mind-boggling to me that he fell as far as he did because, you know, the athleticism – I think his size kind of maybe scared some people away, but his ability to leap is allowing him to play the four just fine. And so I, you yeah. know, he, he's another guy that I think is going to be good for this team long term. I saw I got got Jacob, uh, Josh Christopher, uh, yeah. was a kind of a, a Grizz 
fan favorite for a while there during the draft process. He got in the game last night, kind of in, in garbage time. So uh, a lot, a lot of young talent on that team, and it's gonna be interesting to see how they put together. But it, it's it's rough right now, man. Um, for for that team, but you kind of expect that when you they don't really have any veteran leadership out there, man. What, and I want to kind of get your thoughts on that. What do you think about the the John Wall situation and and kind of how that's playing out? I, I just I'm not a big fan of a guy just not playing. I mean, they, they're playing him a whole bunch of money. Like, I understand he doesn't really want to be part of a rebuilding situation, but he's there on the bench. And I mean, he's with these guys. He was there last night. And you're kind of telling these guys, basically, I don't want to play with you. Like, but you're on the bench with them in, in the timeouts. It's just kind of a, a weird situation. What, what are your thoughts on that? Usually, a lot of times when you see these type of situations, the guy's not around the team, but that's not the case with John Wall. He's actually there. Well, first and foremost, I think it speaks to the level of respect that the Rockets have for John Wall, allowing him to be around this young team. And, and you know, I, I've always liked John Wall. Um, you know, just from day one, I like the way that he plays the game. He, a healthy John Wall, is still one of the fastest guys in the league with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, he he does a lot of things right, so he could teach these guys. The problem is the guys that need that the Rockets need to learn are the guys that play his position. Yeah. And so, you know, like working them in, it's kind of tough. So, you know, I, I agree that it's definitely a weird situation, but John Wall's being a true professional whenever it, you know, when it gets down I to agree it. With that. And, and I think that, you know, he's going, he wants to go somewhere where he can compete and him, being around these young guys and you don't really see a whole lot. Like, I don't know how much of a leadership role he has taken on with these young guys, but the fact that the Rockets are allowing him to be there tells you he's got to be doing something right. So, yeah, you know, I thought well, last time you were at the game, I, I was watching it at home on the broadcast. And every time they spanned over to their bench, we saw him talking to guys and coaching, coaching guys, coaching them up on the sideline. And again, I thought that was kind of interesting because again, you usually don't see that in these type of situations. Usually, they just send the guy home and say, "Man, we'll we'll move you when we when we're able to move you. We'll call you then." But he, yeah. I mean, he again, he's on road trips with the team. He's actually out there with the guys. So I just kind of thought that was an interesting dynamic. Uh, one thing I do want to say about that is you can tell when you have a guy that that's highly respected. Uh, when you look at John Morant after the game, John Wall went right over there to him and and chatted up with him. And you see that with every game, every time they play a team, whether when they play the Lakers with LeBron. Or anytime the big time guys after the game, they always go up and, and have a chat with John Morant. That shows you how much respect the, the all stars and superstar players of this league have for him. They understand that he's up next, man. He's coming, and, and, I, and I think that's really great to see. I don't think we really haven't had that here in Memphis, so that that's really really something that's new and nice to see. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, man. Just a. This game was a, a good game for the Grizzlies. They needed a game like this. We we needed a game like this. We were about to lose yeah. our minds with, with the, you know, it's not so much. I can handle a loss like the Lakers loss, you know, where you just like in the end that you, you just were not able to pull it out. But, you know, the way that they had been losing was very rough. But I, I said it last night and I still stand beside it. And I, I hate that I even got to bring it up <laughs> because it's all we've been talking about lately. But you know, their defense still wasn't good. It no, was not like the, the energy was better. The execution was better. They looked a lot more organized. But how much of that was the inexperience of the Rockets? The, I saw a comment 
where somebody said, you know, um, overtime had mentioned the Rockets as being a, a potential playoff team this year, and it fits their MO because they're playing like an AAU team. Yeah. Right there. You know, it, I mean, it's, it was kind of a stab in overtime. Oh, Brian. You know, it, it, it's – I think it might have been that, Parker. I'm not sure. I think it yeah, might have been Parker. It, it may have – yeah, I think you're right. I think it was Parker. But that that's accurate, man. They were – there were a lot of offensive possessions for the Rockets where they were just extremely disorganized. And it wasn't because of the amount of pressure the Grizzlies were putting on. It's just a young inexperienced team. Now, like, don't, don't get me wrong. This is not a set here. We're not going to bash on the Grizzlies all night. They got a freaking win. That's great. You know, we're glad to see that, but there are things that you want to see get better and while there were things that were positive about last night, the defense still has a ways to go. And after the the pregame star, the the post shoot around stuff yesterday, talking with uh, Melton and and Kyle and Ja, you know they know. And that um, I'm going to bring this comment up and kind of get off track a little bit here, but we can get back to this. Kyle in the the shoot around media availability yesterday, uh, he was asked, "What's the missing X factor on defense on this team?" Or what do you think it is? And he's like, what do I think it is? Or, or what do I see? He's like, it doesn't matter what yeah. I see. It's what the coaches see. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so, you know, it was what kind of – like, how do you take that? Where, where is that Kyle calling the coaching staff out? Like saying that, hey, you know, we're doing what we're told and this is just the coaching staff not, you know – not doing enough preparation or what, you know, like I'm not trying to put words into Kyle's mouth. Obviously he didn't say any of this stuff. So please don't twist it into that. But what what do you think he meant by that? I mean, I got to take it the same way that, that you took it. I mean, it doesn't. And again, I mean, we're not speculating saying there's anything going on, but when you hear a guy say that, I mean, it sounds like basically they don't, they don't have a lot of confidence in, what the coaching staff is doing defensively right now. I mean, don't ask me, ask them what's happening. Uh, I got my theory on what's going on, and they have their theory on what's going on. It doesn't line up. That's just kind of what you take from that. Now, again, we could be reading too deep into that, but as soon as I saw it, when you tweeted it out, I, I looked at it, and that first thing that came to my mind, I was like, man, that's that doesn't sound great. <laughs> uh, uh, when when you, they're going through the struggles, they're going and trying to fix this. That's not a great, not, not exactly what you want to hear. Uh, but man, uh, we'll see how this thing plays out. I, and, I, and to that that question, I mean, I, I asked the question, and that's kind of what's weird about this game because you get a 34 point win, but you're still not over the moon. You think you beat a team by 34, you're like, oh man, they're back. But that's how bad I feel like this Rockets team is. And I asked Dylan after the game last night at the post game presser, what do they take out of this game? How do they carry this over? And he just said, memory, man, we've we've been together for three years now, basically, and they just got to be better than this. They know what they can do as a group, and they just have to go out and do it. And that's going to be the interesting question. I mean, again, that's a big game on, on Thursday night. Again, a chance to get two victories over the Clippers. I, I think a lot of this had to do with it being the Rockets. Just like you said, I saw a lot of issues defensively, and I think a lot of times energy comes from offense. When, when you're putting the ball in the basket, it's going to look like you're you going to work harder. You're going you, to look better defensively. At times, but but I think a lot of that's because they just get up and down the court scoring. We talked about getting fast breaks and, and, and not having to execute in the half court. They were able to, get, able to get turnovers and get out and run last night, and that's against the Rockets. But what happened when did you get the situation with the better team? Like 
Clippers and, and try to execute in the half court. We've really seen them struggle with that as of late. And has that been fixed? I, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah. Oh, something fell. Isaac got quiet there. Got got away from the mic a little bit. But I, I heard what you were saying. I think that it'll be loud enough that uh, when we get this posted, they'll be able to hear what you were saying. The, the one thing I, I actually – I've been thinking about that comment that Kyle made a lot. And, you know, because of the struggles, my first thought was going, like, to the, the coaching staff, exactly what you said. I think you and I are on the same page as that. Then I'm like, what if it – what if it is the players? What if they, you know, like, you know, this guy hasn't really been bringing the energy, bringing the effort, but because this team, it's it's pretty tight-knit group. What if it was more of, I don't want to throw the other players under the bus? Do you think that yeah. that could be it at all? Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely could be. Uh, I mean, basically, he's just saying, man, I'm not going to come out on that. Don't ask, don't ask me about that. And again, like you said, this group is, is really tight-knit and don't, they're not going to call each other out publicly. Like, I, I don't think you'll ever see that from these aren't those type of guys. And I definitely think there could be an element of that. Um, that, that they, like I said, he doesn't want to get into it. Cause I mean, you've seen, you ask Kyle Corson, there have been times where he's kind of the guy where you ask him something, he'll be like, I, well, I don't know. Like, he doesn't really want to come in on certain things. So mm-hmm. you kind of, kind of have to look at that with him. And maybe we might be reading the wrong direction or reading too far into this because he is a guy that kind of, and get weird with the way he asked the question. So, but again, man, I think we are on the same page. When I when I first saw that comment, that's kind of where my mind went to. But again, man, it, it just has to has to be fixed. And I think there's accountability to go around. I think it's some of us on the players, some of us on on the staff. I don't think it's ever one thing or the other. I think this is a team collective thing. It's not like there's just one guy flipping off on defense. I mean, it's been a a total team problem. Uh, the team defense. That is not an individual defense. I don't think that's been the issue. So again, I think there's blame to go around, no matter what he, what he went on this. And again, man, if they don't get this fixed, again, it, it's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. But last night, again, I think that Rockets team is it, so bad it didn't even matter because uh, I mean that team is just throwing the ball all over, over the court, turning it over. And I think they got they're going to have to make some decisions with that team. It, it's early on, but they have a lot of guys that similar size, a lot of guys that do the same thing have a lot of guys that are basically scorers. They want to put the ball in the basket. Not, not a lot of guys that play defense. I mean, they have a lot of similar players, man. They got to, to, to find some way to consolidate that roster and kind of bring in some different kind of players. Because, I mean, most of those guys are the same size, those wings, and guys that just want to come in and shoot don't really play a lot of defense. And I think that's kind of their, their problem right now. Uh, because, I mean, you just got a lot of guys that want to go one-on-one and score. And the Grizzlies took advantage of that last night. Uh, I mean, they ended up with a 34-point victory. But, again, how do you evaluate that with the way they've been playing? And, again, I think we're going to find out a lot more on Thursday night because the competition is definitely definitely going to go up. But hopefully that was a confidence boost for them and they feel better going in that game. And maybe maybe they have fixed some things. It's just kind of hard to, to evaluate it coming out of that game. Yeah, th- there were a number of different positive things for the Grizzlies. Um, you know, like the, the threes were falling. Threes, yeah. You know, that that's something they had struggled the last few games and, and just they were not falling from them. They shot 39% from three, and so that's huge. You know, if you see in some of these other games, if you see the fall – excuse me, you see the threes fall at this rate, you're talking about a massive difference in the score, at, you know, from 20%, 21 22% up to almost 40%. You know, that that's a – it's a pretty big change, and so that can really swing the scoreboard – the threes were falling for him last night. Uh, 
Jeremy ball too. Movement. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And that – go ahead. I was going to say ball movement was great last night, 33 assists. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that might be their highest output of the season. Uh, they were really moving the basketball last night, and that's something that we hadn't seen. I mean, I think during this, this struggle over, over the last week and a half or so, you saw a lot of one-on-one basketball. They weren't, weren't sharing the basketball, getting laid in shot clock. And that wasn't the case last night. And, again, I know it's the Rockets, but if you want to point to positive, maybe that's something they can build on because, man, they were whipping it around um, and really getting some good looks last night. Yeah, I think it's all about finding a rhythm. And that's something, you know, Kyle was asked about his role, you know, coming off the bench. And he's like, you know, as as a guy that's been in the league for a while, I've had to prepare. And he's like, it's not really – he's like, yeah, there's still a little bit of an adjustment. And he said, I, you know, I've had people ask me, well, you know, why were you able to do what you were doing last year? And this year you come out here and you're not doing the same things. And he's like, that that is because of my role. He said, last year, Jaron wasn't there. You know, Jaron wasn't – you know, it, so there were shots to be had. And that's why Kyle was able to play at the level that he did last year. And I think that – you know, um, I can't remember if it was Chris or um, Peter, but one of them tweeted out about Kyle's woes on the defensive end and how he had been a positive on the defensive end the, the previous three years. And this year so far, he's in the bottom 5% of the league on the defensive end. Like, he, he's a negative. And so, you know, like, it, just a huge, huge swing for him. Some of that is based off of team defense, you know, because the team defense has been bad. But, you know, he, he just has to do a better job. And I think that that is something that all of these guys know. And they're all, you know, um, Melton was talking about Job being the vocal leader and how, you know, he, he's going to say stuff like that. And we all know that. We know that we all have to do a better job. And so the, the guys, the spirits are still high. There's no, you know, like they're not at each other's throats or anything like that. And, you know, we, we tweeted out, is the sky falling? We knew it wasn't. And if you listen to any of the shows, that's not where we were at. It was th – this defense is still a problem. They've got work to do there. But it's early in the season. It's an 82-game season. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. And with one of the toughest schedules to start off the year, I think that's a pretty good spot to be, even though they could have easily been, you know, you're looking – Two, two of those three games, especially one, but two of those three games that they lost, they, they could have been in those games. They could have played significantly better and been looking at, you know, eight and six or nine and five as opposed to seven and seven. Yeah, especially especially with, without having Dylan. I mean, for, for both of those games. I mean, I think if somebody had told you they were going to have Dylan Brooks and they kind of gave you that record at the beginning of the season, seven and seven after, after 14 games, it might have not been exactly where, where you thought they would be, but I think you would have taken it. So it's definitely not a disaster. It's more of just kind of how they were losing these games and kind of the body language and the effort that, that you see from them. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about uh, going a little bit direct direction and talk about Jared. He had a good game last night, uh, numbers-wise. But, again, pretty much everybody did going up against this Rockets team. But I think some of his struggles, I think, number one, some of it is on him, and then some of it is on the coaching staff. And, I, and I've talked about that a lot, I think. I don't think the coaching staff does a, a fantastic job of putting him in positions to be successful. Now, you, we talked about this last night. We saw some some mismatches last night, and they actually went to it. That's something that three three times, we seen. yeah, three times, we all three we times. Seen that a lot. Usually, you see those those spots, and they'll, they'll pass to the other side of the floor, and they never take advantage of that. And I think I think Jaron is kind of mentally struggling right now. I mean, even it's been a lot of criticism about about him, and I think he hears some of this stuff because he's even 
cryptically tweeted some stuff about the, the noise out there that he's heard so far this season. And I think he has that on his mind. I think he's worried about getting fouls called on him. And I think he's kind of in between. I think he doesn't really know what he is as a basketball player right now. I know that he, he's going to be a three-point shooter. He's going to be a guy that goes inside. I think you could almost see his mind just racing when he's out there. When you're thinking too much and not reacting, a lot of times you make mistakes, turn the ball over, take bad shots, because there are times where he'll come down the court and just run over guys to the basket for a charge. And I think he's out there thinking too much, and I'm not sure he knows what his role is. And I think that's kind of what it, it trickles down to the rest of the team. You're just talking about Kyle and how his role is different. You didn't have Garrett in there. I think he's kind of searching for himself and how he fits into this as well. So I think what's going on with Garrett kind of has a trickle-down effect because he's supposed to be a big part of this team. They're trying to work him back in, and he's struggling at times himself. And I think it causes other guys to kind of question their role too. Now you're adding Dylan back, and that makes it even tougher. So I think that's kind of some, some of the issues that you're seeing right now. But, again, man, they got to find a way to get this defense fixed going. It's going to be a, a long season. Yeah, I, I've got some numbers here, and I, I want to talk about these, and then we can kind of move on because, like I said, we, we've been we've been hammering on the defense. Um, if this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We appreciate you joining us. If it's not, you've heard us talking about this. You know, it, it's because it's been the same thing. But I, I've got some stats here, and I, I have on this show, I think multiple times now, said I want to see Brandon Clark like move Stephen Adams to the bench unless the matchup accounts, you know, if you're playing one of the more dominant big men in the league, Steven Adams is going to be a better matchup, but move him to the bench and let's start Brandon Clark. And, and the reason I thought this with my eyes by watching the game, but the numbers back it up for me, the Grizzlies, their, their offense or their defense without Brandon Clark and Jaron on the floor the opponent's effective field goal percentage is almost 61%. It's 60.6. Opponents are shooting 75% at the rim and 41% on three with only Jaron on the floor. So you get a difference here. Like Jaron makes a big difference. You got a 54% effective field goal percentage, 61% at the rim, 42% at three. So they're shooting a little bit better at three, not nearly as good at the rim, and the, the effective field goal percentage drops 6%. BC's numbers across the board are very similar to Jaron's. The opponent's effective field goal percentage with BC on the floor, 56%. 61% at the rim, 40% on three. When both of those guys are on the floor, this defense changes. And this is over multiple possessions with BC and Jaron on the floor. The opponent's effective field goal percentage drops to 45%. From 60 down to 45, massive. That 15% is is significant. You figure 15% on 100 shots, that that's, you know, like they're missing. That's a lot of points. That's a ton of points. And then, so th this is the big woe. This is what really, like when I was looking at it, this surprised the heck out of me. They were, again, without Brandon or Jaron on the floor, opponents were shooting 75% at the rim. With Brandon and Jaron on the floor, 44% at the rim. 
These guys make a difference. The reason they make a difference is because both of those guys are good help defenders. And so if the ball is on their side and one of them is a primary on that side, you've got the other one. They're both rim protectors. You've got the other one that can go over and help protect the rim. So that's a a 31% difference at the rim when you have Brandon and Jaron both on the floor. Defense has been your issue all year. There's no doubt about it. You guys have heard us talking about it. And the thing is, it's not just us. It's not like Isaac and I have these goggles on, and the only thing that we're focused in on is, well, where are they making these defensive mistakes? Everybody knows that the defense has been the issue. You've got the solution. You have it right there on your roster. You have the solution. The, the three-point percentage is 41% without either one of them, around 40 and 42 with with one or the other off of the floor the three-point percentage with brandon and jaron both on the floor 32 percent. so you're talking a 15 percent field goal percentage drop a 30 percent field goal percentage drop at the rim and a nearly 10 percent drop from three all across the board when bc and jaron are on the floor this defense is elite even as it's just not a rim protector. I mean, that's just not not his game. He's not yeah. going to offer you much of rim protection. And you thought coming in that he would be an upgrade over JB. But if you look at the, the analytical numbers, they actually say that JB was a slightly better defender uh, than Stephen Adams last year, which it, and this, it, it sounds crazy, but I, I think this kind of proves that. And we were kind of talking before we came on here, and I think a lot of that has to do with Stephen Adams being, being terrible as a drop big. He's just not the drop big that JB is. And I think I get, that opens up the rim for, for guys. And, and that's just what we've seen. And, and even even outside of that, Stephen Adams is not a guy that's going to be part of your future. I mean, I think you, you're trying to find out that BC is going to be the guy that you thought he is. So he needs playing time, man. Have him on the floor. Put him in the starting lineup. Next to Jerry. You heard the numbers that he just laid out. I mean, your defense and interior defense has basically been your major problem. Fix it. You have the personnel on the roster. I don't understand why you're not doing it. I mean, if we know that here on this show, I know that Taylor Jenkins and staff have looked at these numbers. I, I don't understand why that happened already. And for, for both of those reasons, for the, the, the realness of the stats that you just put out and for the reason that I just laid out, as for Stephen Adams not being a guy that's going to be part of your future. You're talking about developing guys. You can go into the development route and make your team better by doing the same thing. So I just don't understand why we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, you know, and, and there's, you know, you, you and I both know we're not really going to know. We'll never get the real answer to that question, but it's just the numbers are there. You you can look at them. You have guys that are on that, the staff that, you know, there are members that that's what they do. Like the Grizzlies pay people to look at these stats. Yeah. So, you know, we're doing a podcast. These guys are looking at these stats. These, these, you know, the guys that that's their job. That's what they look at. That's what they know this. They're getting this information to them. And if they're not get the hell rid of them because they're not doing their job. But I hide it. Like it's highly unlikely that they're not seeing these numbers. So it's weird because, a couple games ago, I can't even remember what game it was, like maybe three or four games ago, Taylor Jenkins kind of hinted at this when they kind of dialed down Stephen Adams' numbers and talked about how much he liked it with BC and kind of that look with him and Jaron, and they went they went away from him. Like, I don't I don't know what – I don't get that. Like, I don't know. He kind of hinted that maybe that was the direction they were going to go, and then they just didn't go back that, that direction. So, 
I, I don't know what the situation is, but like you said, they know what these numbers are. There, there's no doubt about that. They have guys that they pay to delve into numbers, statistician guys, that, that that's their major job. That's all they do pretty much. Uh, so they know what's going on here. But, uh, again, man, I definitely think that's the best route to go. I mean, test-wise, I hadn't even looked at the numbers, but you can just see it with your eyes that they're much better defensively when you got DC at the four and Jaron at the five. And, uh, again, man, I wasn't the biggest fan of, of Jaron playing the five. I just thought he projected long-term as a better four. But especially this season with, with this personnel on this roster, I think that's best for him. As long as you're not going up against – Huge guys like Embiid or, or Jokic or guys like that. I, I think Jerry's best at the five because I think he helps the defense of his team more, and that's what they need from him. Yeah, there, there's really only a handful of guys where you know Adams is going to match up better physically, and you outside of that, play the young guys. The yeah, the numbers for he can still get his twenty minutes off the bench. Yeah, play here and there, but man, I I, I agree with you. I'm right on with and, you, man. I think DC at the four. And you gotta watch them. I think even in that scenario, even if they started Jared at the five, I got a feeling they'd go Kyle at the four. But I, I think DC is better uh, because of the rim protection he brings. You talked about how the guys can get back and protect the rim. Both of those guys kind of feed off each other defensively. So I think DC definitely fits that bowl. Uh, but uh, again, man, we haven't seen it. Maybe that's something that we see down the line. But I think it needs to happen now. But the numbers definitely support that that's the best option for them. Yeah, I've I've got the numbers on Adams. I didn't mention them, but I will. the the opponent the field goal percentage with Adams on the floor, opponent's field goal percentage, fifty six percent. They're shooting sixty five percent at the rim and forty two percent from three. So overall, like there's there's nothing that Adams is doing that BC is not. And you know we've heard development over and over and over again. So so let's see it. And like, like you it's say, not like but, it's not like. Adams is putting up these big scoring numbers. I mean, that's not like yeah. you're losing scoring with him. I mean, BC can score just as well as him and even better. If he gets the opportunity, then he'll probably score more than Stephen Adams. So I don't know why it's not happening, man. But uh, but again, man, I'd I love to see it. And that's the direction that they need to go. You know, Brandon had three assists last night. They were all good passes, too. You know, and, and I'm not, that's not an argument. Brandon, our Brandon Adams, mixing them up here, man. Brandon Clark. <laughs> is not as good of a play. Like, he he cannot distribute the ball the way that Steven Adams can. Steven Adams is better in that aspect. And it's like his – that's probably, like, offensively, that's his best part of it. Like, you know, like his ability to pass the ball, to hit the guys when they're cutting, like put the ball where he wants it, it's unbelievable. Steven Adams does a lot of good things, and Steven Adams does stuff to affect winning. So this is not a, a bash Steven Adams thing. I, no, I he, he's a good player. I was happy when they made that trade. I I like Steven Adams. I like his personality. Uh, even before he was a Grizzly, and, and I know that some people had the the beef with him over the Zebo yeah, thing, man. and that's fine, man. I like do that. They're grown men. Stuff like that happens. I don't take any of that stuff personally. Man, did you see the clip where he was? I think it was the Chris Vernon show. He was on when he first got here, and uh, Vernon asked him, "What was the?" first thought that came to his mind when he got traded he was like oh well Zach Randolph elbowed me in the face and some people might still be mad about that like, I, love, I, love, I love, his, love his personality man he's, yeah he's a character for sure yeah yeah great interview love him like he's fantastic with the media the, and and does a lot of good things on the floor but I think because of where this team is 
that a change is due, man. And, and I don't know that, you know, it's probably going to be later down the road whenever we see it. I think it happens later, but, it, and it may not happen at all. I, you know, Taylor Jenkins is a creature of habit. Um, and so we, we may not end up seeing it at all, but a lot of positives for the Grizzlies. I'm happy the way Dylan Brooks is coming out, you know, six of 14, significantly more efficient than what he had been in the past. Six or 14 is not great. You'd like to see it a little bit better, but it's also way better than three or 14 taking crazy ill-advised shots. He got a number of shots at the rim, you know, driving, getting downhill. That's what he does. So he's back and he looks like Dylan Jaron, you know, he he's had a couple bad games, but you know, here recently he's put a, a pretty decent streak together here outside of like one game where he's playing well. And I think that that's going to, he's going to continue to build off of that stuff. And one thing I, I kick myself because I, I didn't, I, I should have asked, but Melton, when we were talking to him yesterday in the, the post shoot around stuff, he's like a lot of people want to base success off of wins and losses, but that's not really what we base it off of. And so like nobody followed up. I, and I, I dropped the ball on that, but I want to know, you know, I would imagine that his answer is going to be improving, getting better every day, but I don't know that for sure. I, I wish that I would have thought, you know, I'm just learning it, man. Not super quick on my feet with follow-up questions, but that, that's something I would like to hear what he had to say about that. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's an organizational view. I think even the guys understand that that's what they're about. They're about long-term development. They're about making this team better and building into a championship team and everything doesn't have to happen right now uh, and again we've talked about that so much and a lot of fans don't agree with that philosophy but they've said over and over that's what they're doing and their moves and, and things that they do they validate that that's what they're going to do they're not going to sabotage long term to try to make quick moves I know that's what a lot of fans want I mean the Atlanta Hawks kind of went that route last year and brought in a whole lot of veterans kind of paid off uh, we'll see what happens this year they've had the struggles a little bit this year we'll see if they can get it back but this front office is not going to do that. If they see something that they feel like makes sense long-term, they're not scared to pull the trigger. But they're not going to bring in some, some veterans and, and, and blow all their assets just to kind of kind of be good today. That's just not what they're doing. And that answer right there from Belton kind of sounds like that might be a few even down to the players. So one, one thing I did want to mention is, and it kind of surprised me last night, uh, someone asked Dylan about, I can't remember who it was, was he back? Um, and he basically said, well, this could possibly be an all-year course and an all-year process. That kind of surprised me because, I mean, he looks fine. Like, he looks like Dylan. I mean, of course, he's a conditioning thing. He, he's going to get better defensively and things like that. But I was just kind of surprised that he said that, like, maybe he's kind of concerned that the hand could have some problems all year because that, he did say that. Someone asked him when, when was he going to be back, and he said, well, that could kind of be a pulling back. And then he said that's going to kind of be a question that we ask all year. So I thought that, that kind of stood out to me. Nobody really followed up on it or anything. I had already asked them about kind of translating from last night's performance over to Thursday, so I didn't follow up either. But that, that did kind of stand out to me. Yeah, I, I didn't hear that. I was on the road for the post game, so I, I missed that last night. But yeah, I'm I'm not real worried about it. They, he's not he's he not favoring the hand. Yeah. yeah, he looks so, fantastic. Maybe with his. Maybe he's talking about the trust with it. I mean, where you break your hand, maybe he 
doesn't feel mentally 100% because probably, I don't know if he meant mental or physical, but he did, did say that. I think maybe it could be a, a mental thing coming back from that. But, he, again, I'm not worried about it either because he looked fine. I mean, you come back in your first game and score 20 points and, and look the way he did, I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah, and I think, you know, Dylan said – or like D- Dylan's mindset, I-, I think is he's looking to improve. He's looking to get better every single day. And so I, I don't know. I'm not going to read too far into it a- until we start seeing something. You know, yeah, it was just yeah. It, it is. It is a little like it's a weird statement, but yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not real but concerned I mean, about it because he looks again, good on the floor. Again, like I said with Kyle, he's kind of a a, a weird question to answer as well. He, yeah, he's some weird reactions when you ask questions, but you never know really what the how to read into those questions, but hey, I do want to want to jump into Jaws' numbers on the season so far and how break down how he's improved. I mean, I, I had never, I hadn't in a, a few weeks or so really looked at his stats, but right now, I mean, it, it's incre- crazy how he's improved on his, his career numbers and numbers from last year. He's averaging twenty nine point nine points per game uh, last year. He averaged nineteen point one, so he's up six point eight points through fourteen games from last season. And this number is really impressive to me. He's averaging 6.4 rebounds a game. Like for a small guard, that is like off the charts. And his highest number before was last year at four rebounds. So he's up 2.4 rebounds a game over his numbers last year now. We're only 14 games in. It's still early, man. But he averages almost seven rebounds for, for a small guard. I mean, that's really, really off the charts. 7.3 assists is right on his career average. That's how many he averaged uh, for his career for three years. Uh, 1.6 uh, steals per game. That's up 0.7. And three-point numbers are definitely up 38.2% from three. Uh, his previous high was 33.5 in his rookie season. Attempts are up. He shot 30.3% overall last season on 3.8 attempts. Uh, this season, he's at 4.9 attempts. So, he's up like 8% on one extra three per game. So, I mean, that's a pretty high volume, 38% on five attempts. I mean, that's significant. It's not like he's shooting one or two shots a game, and he's getting five up a game. And if he's shooting 38% going up from 30 last year, that's a big, big rise for a guy, 8% in one year. So he's definitely putting in the work there. I mean, all his numbers are across the board, 52.9% on twos, which he was at 49.9% last year while shooting close to four more shots a game. Uh, his effective field goal percentage is up 5.3% from 48.7% last year to 48, uh, 48.7% this year. It's 41.6% 40, last year. So he's up almost 5% overall effective field goal percentage. So his numbers are all the way up, man. If, if, these numbers, if he keeps up anything even close to this, I, I don't see how he's not an all-star. I mean, these are the type of numbers that even if your team is struggling, like I think it surpasses that. Again, we kind of saw that with Trey Young, how they had struggled before the all-star break, and he, he still was able to make the all-star game. I think these are the kind of numbers that kind of supersedes what, what your team's record is. So even if they're, they're still struggling, I think – He's going to be an all-star this year. I don't know how you keep a guy out that's averaging 26 points a game. Yeah, and he's getting the national attention, man. You know, Kendrick yeah. Perkins is tweeting about him pretty frequently. Yeah, um, Malik, on, yeah uh, <laughs> Malika Andrews, I've seen her a few times tweet about him. Like, he's getting the national attention. Uh, Parker tweeted out about his, his pull-up game, and he's like he's shooting 42.4% on pull-up threes. And that's good, man. That's – it's yeah, scary for the because it's like you you fall back off of him and he's gonna pull up and he's gonna shoot threes at a forty percent you know forty two percent clip 
okay, well now I've got to get up and contest. And if it's, if it's a bigger guy that gets up too close, he's going to blow past you and dunk it. Like it's going, it's going to continue to get scary from him as he can, you know, his game is is growing. We we've watched it grow year in and year out here and, and he's putting in the work. So, you know, it was certain things that, that he's working on. His shot has been something that he's really been focusing on. And, and it's showing up. Um, th- did you talk about his free throw percentage this year? I don't remember. I, I was. I think it's, it's about the same. I think he was is it? 77 last year and he's 77 right now. But the, the rebounds and the shooting numbers are what I'm really impressed by. But, again, I mean, you got a, a, a guard of his size averaging almost seven rebounds a game. That's insane. That just kind of speaks to his athleticism. And. For a guy to be, for him to be shooting 38% on threes on five attempts a game from kind of how he shot the basketball last year, again, that's scary hours for some people because if he, you have to start honoring him from three, man, it's over. I mean, you, you can't guard him. He's going to be unguardable. He's already averaging 26 points a game, man. So it's it's scary, man. I, again, man, we've talked about this so much. I don't know what the, the ceiling is for him. I mean, I guess a lot of people say that being that size kind of limits you. Uh, and what your ceiling could be, but I mean, the guy's averaging 26 points a game already. I mean, we're talking about year three, and I, I still don't think he's tapped out in their ceiling yet. That's insane to, to, to be able to, to sit here and say right now. The Grizzlies are, are lucky, man, to be able to, to to have him again. People were upset, didn't get that number one big guy, and was supposed to be this next LeBron is something that we've never seen before. And so far, he hasn't been that because of the injuries. Um, got a report today that he's gonna. I guess ramp up his activity is going to be able to, to just do some contact stuff right now. So hopefully he gets right, man, because you hate to see a guy as talented as he is, his career just get derailed by injuries. I kind of foreshadowed this to be the case, but I hope he can get his weight down and able to get, get in shape and be able to, to be the player that we thought he could be, man, because he's extremely talented. I mean, we, a guy that size can do some of the things he can do athletically. We just haven't ever seen that. So I, I would hate to him to be robbed of that. Yeah. Yeah. Same man. It's, it's scary, you know. Like Jai had a fall at one point last night, and yeah, that, that's, uh, and didn't get back. That. And I was I was worried that you know, like he he landed weird. He, he didn't look right for a minute. He, he went to the back, but he came back, but he looked hot after that. He had a, a wrap on his knee. They didn't. He didn't say anything about it after the game. Uh, so he seemed to be fine. He didn't seem like he was anything concerned that he's going to miss any time. So he looked like he, he was good to go. Of course, he came back in the game and played major minutes after then, but he didn't look right for a minute. Like he was. He got the ball one time and just passed it up. He's like right out of the basket. And like he, he didn't want to shoot it. So I thought maybe there was something going on there, man. But definitely don't want to want to see that for, for him, man. You don't want to see anybody get injured. But uh, to see your, your big time players go down like that, that's definitely definitely not something that you want to see. Yeah, you mentioned his height and the rebounds. You know, there, there's another six three guard in the league that does pretty good rebounding the ball as well. So yeah. you know. You know, there, there, there's, they're out there. Westbrook, uh, I don't know what his numbers are this year. I hadn't even really looked at him, but you know, he, he's another smaller guard that uh, that rebounds the ball well. And I think that Ja rebounding the ball well is great for the Grizzlies because, you know, he can grab it off of the rim and get down the floor pretty yeah. damn quick. And, go, yeah. and so that's a, uh, you know, maybe we'll start seeing. You know, we continue to see that grow. We're going to get a, a walking triple double here. Yeah, another weird stat, and I tweeted this out earlier on Twitter, man. I was just going through some numbers today, and it, it's weird because you talk about Zaire Williams, and you don't think of him as being a, a three-point sniper or anything. I mean, I think he's a guy that projects long-term that'll be a solid three-point shooter, 
but you don't think of him being like pretty much that's all he does. And through 12 games, he played, he played in 12 of the 14 games. He scored 60 points total. And 42 points, or the 42 of those points have come on three points. He's 14 of 49 for 28.6%. So that's 70% of his points that he scored in his first 12 games in his NBA career has come on threes. And I, I think that's insane. I think you kind of look back as the years go on and when you look back on his career when he matures into whatever that finished product is, which I don't think it's going to be a guy where 70% of his shots come on threes. He's not going to be Steph Curry or anything like that, I don't think. But it's just kind of weird to see that basically he's been basically a standstill three-point shooter. That's kind of how they use him, and we talked about that. And there's no problem with that right now. I just think it's kind of weird to see for a guy that that's not kind of what you thought he would be coming into the NBA as a guy that just stands to three-point. Yeah, I, I think we'll see more of his playmaking ability as the season moves along. I think right now adjusting to the, the speed of the game and stuff like that is going to be that, – that, that's what they're focusing on and allowing him to be kind of more of the spot-up shooter – let him see and kind of read the floor. I I would bet you by the end of the year that you see significantly more playmaking duties for uh, Zaire Williams. Yeah, because he definitely has that in, in his game. I, I know when you talk about high school, even at, at Sanford, when you go back and watch some of his film, man, he's a tremendous passer. He's a high IQ. You've seen you've seen some. He's flashed on a little bit of his playmaking ability since he's been with the Grizzlies. But I definitely think that's something that he'll be able to do. And at that size, I think he can be an elite playmaker. For, for a guy that size that he develops and, and reaches the ceiling. So I definitely think you'll see more of that. He's a guy that can slash, get to the basket. I think by design, that's kind of – they don't want to put too much on his plate, and, and that's just kind of what they, they're scheming him and, and for him to do right now. So I, I don't think it's on him or that he's not trying anything. I just thought that was a, a interesting stat for, for a guy that's not known as being a, a big-time three-point shooter to have 70% of their 60 points on the season as, as three-point shots. It's just kind of a – a weird stat, and I think it'll be even weirder to look back on in, in a couple of years from now. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Man, you got anything else before we get out of here? Man, uh, this big game coming up on Thursday night. Again, an opportunity to get a second win over a Clippers team and same kind of way you did with Denver, two teams that I think if the Grizzlies can be at the end of the season where we think they could be in that five, six, range to kind of avoid their play-in. I think Denver and Clippers are two teams that will probably be right there in that mix as well, uh, especially with the injuries that they have. It's going to kind of cap their ceiling a little bit. I think they could be in that range. And to be able to have to be 2-0 against those both, teams, both of those teams, other than the Clippers here early in the season, I think it would be big. And you just want to see Gary O. Um, I mean, put up 136 points, the highest point total in the season. I know it's a really bad team, but you play who you play. I mean, the schedule, that's who they had to play, and they went out and took care of business. And you just want to see some of that carryover. And there was some positive things to take from that game. You just hope to see see a little bit more of that on Thursday night. Yep. Agreed, man. Well, before we get out of here, we're going to tell you about our partners here at Hootball. Manscaped.com. Go over to Manscaped.com. Use the promo code Hootball20. Get 20% off and free shipping on all of their man care products. The Lawnmower 4.0 with the Skin Safe technology. I just got mine in. It just came in last night while I was at the game. So I don't know how good it is yet, but I will let you know soon. I uh, I had the, the 3.0, and it was fantastic. The 4.0 is upgraded. Their engineers spent a ton of time developing the skin, skin safe technology to keep you safe while you're trimming up your main parts. Again, the promo code is hootball20 at manscaped.com. Go over and check them out. Use the promo code, save some money, and get free shipping. 
I think that's all. We'll wrap it up there. You can get the show on Twitter at Grizz. I'm at DWill2111. Isaac, let them know where they can find you and get us out of here, man. Yeah, man, you can find me on Twitter at Isaac. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.